chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. Faith without works is dead. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let's get a little closer to you. Rahab had heard rumors of these people called the Israelites. But she didn't know a lot. She definitely didn't have a Bible. I don't know if you know this, but this is Rahab. She is long before any scripture has been penned. She is in a little city called Jericho, and she hears rumors of the people of Israel who've, who've got a God who they claim to be the creator God who's God over all, and that Jericho is on land that God has given to them. And Rahab is the only person who seems in this whole city of Jericho to be the person who, against all odds, goes, I better trust. I better trust that maybe, just maybe, these people have the true God who is coming towards us. And she's a lowly prostitute, the lowest of the low, in a unkind of wanted little city called Jericho. It was fortified by huge walls. And Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus because of this very, very small act of faith where she draws the line between her little life as a prostitute in a city called Jericho and a people who are moving towards their promised land and goes, I better do something. And as these spies enter into Jericho, she welcomes them in and she makes a home for them and she helps them escape and she makes a plan so that 
the people of God can make their way into the promised land of God. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details of exactly what happened after that and some of the complexities about Israel taking land and all those kinds of things. However, what I will say is that Rahab is known for her faith. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you remember playing that game, or not a game, it was almost an exercise. When you were in grade one or grade R, if you've got kids or you've uh, done homework with kids, you've got a, a line of pictures down the left. It'll be a doggy and a cat and uh, any three-letter words, a mat. And then on the other side, you'll have the written, uh, so you've got the words down one side and they're in random order, and then you've got the pictures down the other side. And what do you need to do? You need to draw a line from the, the written dog to the dog and the cat to the cat. And you need to draw these lines to connect them up. Do you guys remember those? Yes. <laughs> Not the most complicated thing. But drawing lines is exactly what God calls us to do in this passage. To draw lines between our story and God's story. This passage that we are reading today has been one of the most contested passages in the history of the church. <laughs> it's one of the most interesting uh, and challenging passages that you will ever read. It puts the two poles, the two big tensions of Christianity up against each other. You see, the story of the gospel is the story of God in his amazing grace saying that you and I and any other human being who lives in God's created world needs to do absolutely nothing to receive God's love. All you need to do is trust in him and this, this is yours. It's yours. You just need to draw the line between yourself as a needy, broken human being and God, who is a loving, merciful God. And if you can draw that line of faith, the story of the gospel and the beauty of God's love and salvation come washing over your life like a beautiful Atlantic wave washes over you. It is refreshing and it is powerful. God's grace washes over you. You simply say, I need help. It's as simple as that. And God in his mercy comes and does that. That's grace. You do nothing and he does everything. Now James comes to us and he throws a spanner in the works and he says, your faith without works is useless. It's dead. So now we have this complex thing. I think of Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, which a lot of people quote. You wanna talk about grace? We quote this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your, from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works. Notice that word, works, so that no one can boast. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are saved by absolutely nothing that you have done. That's important to get, right? That is the story of the gospel. You don't save yourself. You've got nothing to boast about. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection saves you. You with me? However, there's a tension. James says, you show me faith without works? It's impossible. Faith without any activity, without you responding, is dead, he says. Now he's going, so really, there's this, this tension. And he even goes on so far as to say that Abraham was justified by his works, are you feeling the tension here? Because there's this real complexity in what happens here. Martin Luther spent his life struggling through the book of James going, I don't know if this should be in the Bible. 
I don't know if I, I, I can get this. And eventually in the later parts of his life, he wrote some of the most profound stuff as he began to realize that this was exactly the tension we were meant to live in. And some of his commentaries are the most helpful in understanding the book of James. So it is a little bit complex, but if you want to grow into maturity as a follower of Jesus, you need to be okay with tension. Maturity is the ability to hold different tensions in place. We live in a world that simply wants to go, it's all this or it's all that. And here James is calling us to tension. It is all the grace of God. It's all about your faith. However, close behind, if it's real faith, is going to be some sort of action. Douglas Moo says it like this. Talking about James. What he is concerned to do is to define the true nature of faith as he does throughout his letter. James attacks superficial and inconsistent Christians who claim they have faith but fail to act on the basis of their faith. Such a faith, James says, is dead and useless. So James has been writing for quite some time now, basically having a go at these Christians who are claiming to have faith in Jesus, but their lifestyles have no uh, kind of traction with the faith that they're claiming. He is accusing them of being what uh, John Tyson calls a liar, L-I-A-R. They have a low information to action ratio. Low information to action ratio, i.e. lots of information coming, but low action according to their information. They go, yes, I'm a believer. I believe in Jesus. I believe he's merciful. I believe he's kind. I believe he died for me. I believe that when I, I pass away, I will be with him forever. I believe, hooray. But there is nothing that's changing in the way that they live. Their faith is simply a cerebral bunch of words that come out of their mouths and they profess and they go, yay, I believe, but there is nothing that changes. You see, James today is not going to argue that it's your works that are going to save you. What he is going to argue is that if you have a real living faith in Jesus, then you will not be able to stay the same. Your behaviors have to change. It's incompatible, says James, that you would believe or confess one thing and then behave or act in a way that isn't aligned to that. Make sense? It's a very complex passage, and we would probably need a whole series to be able to really dig into every single line that is spoken about here. But really what he's saying is he's saying, you can't have faith without some sort of works. Okay, so verse 22, I think, is a beautiful key. In verse 22, it says this. It talks about the fact that uh, you see that faith was active along with his works. So he's talking about Abraham here. Now, along with this is this word, sunor geo. So you need to look to the person next to you. Adrian, are you feeling Greek today? Good. Look to the person next to you and say, Sunor Geo. Oh, no, 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 no. Some of you got it. Sunor Geo. 
If you go onto the uh, different websites and you click the little microphone and it goes, Strong's G, blah, 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 and there's a number, and it goes, Sooner Geo, and uh, you get to practice this. It doesn't actually, you know, frenetically come out the same, right? That looks like Synergy, but uh, to the Greek, it's Sooner Geo, and it's Synergy, it's where we get the word synergy. It's this working with, it's this partnership with. It's that when you believe, there is a synergy between your believing and your acting. You know me and my pedals, I love my pedals. The moment you put the pedal of faith down, the, the, the activities are gonna follow. There's gonna be this amazing synergy between left and right moving together. He talks about the synergy right at the end. He says, as a body apart from the spirit, which is actually the word for breath, as the body apart from breathing is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He's going, there's a synergy between the breath you breathe and the life you live. There's a synergy between the faith you profess and the activities that you live out. He's simply saying, you, if you have faith, need to learn and grow in drawing lines between your profession and your action. As you profess, so you ought to act. And of course, right up at the beginning, he begins to teach us the basic thing that he's been teaching all along around compassion. He says, how can you say things like, uh, you know, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in food, and one of you says, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that are needed for the body. What good is that? James says, you know what? Great feelings towards people are not the equivalent of great faith in God. You know, we often, you hear it on the radio, you know, just sending out good vibes to my brothers who are off to work on a Monday morning, and you're kind of like sending good vibes. He goes, sending good vibes is not faith in Jesus Christ. Even if you kind of, sometimes I think we have this temptation as we go, hey, just to let you know I'm thinking about you, that can go both ways, right? You're like, oh, thinking about me, thank you. I wouldn't mind some help, actually. You know, uh, thinking about me can be cool. Or uh, often we'll say, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. Now, I get it. I love it. Hope you are, though. <laughs> because if we aren't, then what we're doing is we're training ourselves into what James is teaching is a kind of fake faith. We're training our brains to say, I'm a believer, but actually, even when I say I'm praying for you, I'm not really praying for you. And we are amazing at developing habits, neural pathways that let ourselves off the hook. So we go, hey man, bro, I know you're going through a tough time just to let you know I'm praying for you. And the moment you don't pray, you feel good and you did nothing. Wow, that's an addictive feeling. So you do it again. Hey Christian, I'm, I'm praying for you. Whew, that felt kind of nice. And he said, thank you. Wow, okay, so now I felt good. I didn't have to do anything. And suddenly you develop a habit called fake faith. Here he's looking at these guys and he's going, be careful. What good is it if he, someone says he has faith, but he doesn't actually live upon it. He doesn't actually care for someone. The New Living Translation, talking about uh, the poor, he says, instead of uh, go in peace and be warmed, the person would say, oh, goodbye and have a good day. Hope you have a great day. Knowing that his brother or sister is actually cold and hungry and has nothing. And he says, be careful not to train yourself into a kind of fake faith 
that simply lets yourself off the hook from a God who has given you love and has taught you what love is. And has taught you, actually, if you can't help them, that's okay. But don't say something that is disaligned from that. So firstly, we see in James, especially in verses 15 and 16, that kind of great feelings towards people isn't always great faith. Even kind of great words towards people isn't great faith. We want to be careful about how we treat people. Secondly, great theology is not necessarily equivalent to great faith. Who of us are the sort of prone to being the theological policeman in our world? You nudge the person next to you. If they're that person, they, they hear someone say something or, you know, they read a book and they go, no, that's rubbish. You know, you can't believe anything those people are saying and become a bit of a theological snob and, uh, you know, everything needs to be according to a certain thing. You know, James is basically going here, if you're not drawing lines between your theology and your activity, you too are in danger. Listen to this. These are chilling words in verse 19. He says this. You believe that God is one. You do well. Thumbs up to you. Even the demons believe and shudder. He's going, there is a realm of pure evil who also have very good theology. They also believe that God is one God. They believe that he's the creator. They believe even now that they've witnessed it that he defeated sin and Satan and death. But that doesn't change the fact that they are bent on stealing, killing, and destroying. Just because you believe rightly and you've got all the things, the scaffolding in place, doesn't necessarily mean that you're building a beautiful building. Oh. That's a challenging one, right? I mean, James has been building this crescendo, and he's really working hard, and he's been spending the last chapter and a bit trying to get these guys to realize that just because you say it, just because you believe it, just because you own a, a brilliant ESV Bible with all the study notes in it, or whatever your study Bible is, or maybe you've got a family member who's a domini or a pastor, and you go, sure, I am, I'm in, man. I believe the right stuff. It's going, your belief isn't what's going to be the, the game changer. It doesn't guarantee you great faith. Even the demons do that. It's like a bit of a humbler, right? How do I make this fun? <laughs> There's no way. He is, he is really calling our, uh, putting our feet back firmly on the ground. So firstly, great feelings don't equal great faith. Great theology doesn't equal great faith. And then actually, he's trying to say, I think that great, ac great faith is not a trade between God and you, it's a trust. Look at verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? What happens in the story of Abraham and Isaac is that God comes to Abraham, who has one son, who was promised that through this son would be a blessing that he would have more sons and eventually this family would be the, the blessing to the world and that they would be blessed and they would be a blessing. Now God's going to him and saying, yeah, that, you know that son of yours, the only one you've got, the one I gave you, the one I made all the promises over, I need you to walk up a mountain and I need you to go sacrifice him. It's a, it's a totally odd thing to us. Actually, it wasn't that odd back then. Human sacrifice was fairly normative in those days. They would sacrifice their kids to, uh, you know, to all kinds of different gods. And, uh, and to be honest with you, the, the, the Bible was one of the first, uh, and the teachings of the God of the Bible was the first kind of move away from that, going, this is no longer acceptable. 
So God calls Abraham out of this lifestyle of human sacrifice, and then he says, oh, I'm going to call you to do this. And Hebrews says it like this. It says that actually Abraham, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham takes his most precious thing, that which was basically his whole identity was tied into it, including the identity God had given him, and he walks it up a mountain, and he lays it on an altar, and he says, God, here it is. And sometimes when we hear of great faith, we say, okay, so you're saying God gave us his son, so now I must give him some stuff back, and we'll trade off each other. The point is that you could never do that. You could never pay God back. And we tend to do this in some many versions as well. God, if you give us this contract, I'll start tithing. Sound familiar? A couple of giggles. God, if they message me back, I'll know this is the person for me. And, 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 and we trade. We go, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. And we turn our relationship with God into a kind of trade-off where we're waiting for him to do something, and then we'll do something back. And basically, it's no longer about trust. It's about trading. You do this, I'll do that. You do this, I'll do that. James is not saying that at all. He is saying great faith is an act of great trust, despite the fact that it doesn't fully make sense. I will give you my son trusting that maybe you could bring him back to life, trusting that somehow you could work this promise that you already put in place, despite the fact that this makes absolutely no sense. He's drawing lines between himself and the promises of God, and he's not playing the trading game. If you're not feeling challenged now, uh, then I don't know when you ever will. It's so tricky to read James, but it is so important. Douglas Moo says it like this, not only did Abraham's faith do something to or with his works, his works also did something to his faith. His works completed his faith. You see, that's the, the journey. It's like the, the cart that follows the horse. It's the completion of the, 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 the cart without the horse is impossible, and the horse without the cart makes no sense. This, this is how it works. You have faith in Jesus, and straight following your faith is this line of your actions of trust, our actions of trust. Each time you wake up and you read your Bible, you're drawing a line between your day that God's given you and God's promises that he's made over your life. You're drawing these lines all the time by saying, my life, God's love, I want to connect them as often as I can. We're going back to grade R in our faith, actually, in just trying to draw lines. So here's a few suggestions that I think James may be making to us. A few lines that I think he's calling us to draw today. Draw lines between circumstances that are out of your control and God's promises. That's one of the big keys here. He's saying there's so much that you're out of control of, and you need to learn to draw lines between those and God's love. Notice how he picks these two uh, biblical characters, Rahab and, uh, and Abraham. Particularly Rahab in this situation, it is completely out of her control. There is a nation that's coming, and they're going to take over Jericho, and she needs to either go with it and trust God, or she needs to rebel against it and go her own route. 
And she chooses by faith with the little that she's got to just house a few spies to look after them and say, hey guys, if I house you, will you promise that when you come and take over the city that you'll be good to me and my family? And yet they say, yeah, sure, all you need to do is tie a little red ribbon over the top of your house and we'll make sure that we don't harm anyone in that house. And she puts faith in God that she will be safe when uh, you know, drama arrives. It's an amazing, herself who's out of control and a God who seems to be a God of love. And she says, I need mercy. How much of your life do you feel out of control of right now? I really want you to, to think it through. And how much of those things that you're out of control of, are you drawing the lines between you and God or are you cutting off and waiting till it gets solved and then you kind of pitch up again to God? Is it your uh, marriage? You're feeling out of control. There's stuff going on. You just can't fix it in your own strength. Hey, can you draw the line between your need for help from God and his community to say, actually, guys, please, we need someone to come in. We can't do this alone. You draw the line between your own emotional situation and God and going, you know what? I just can't find connection with God anymore. Can you draw that line between your feelings right now and your need for God and say, God, I'm gonna come to you despite that? Whatever your situation is, maybe it's a, it's a tough diagnosis that you've received. Maybe it's just loss and you're pretending or it's pain that you're pretending you don't need to grieve. Honestly, we are the worst at grieving out of, I think, most generations. Nobody taught us to grieve in the presence of God. And so many of us are the walking wounded, shoving our pain into the dark recesses of our hearts, pretending everything's okay when so much is not okay. But it could be if we just drew the line between our pain and a God who loves us. And we went, God, here's my pain. And some close loved ones, here's my pain. And I just need you guys to know that I am in pain. And let the first tear trickle down your cheek by faith and you draw the line between your pain and your grief and a God who loves you and you start to see healing coming. It's actually not as hard as we think. I spoke to Natalie Hugerforst. Many of you know her. She's, uh, I actually don't know exact age, probably in her 80s. Her husband, Yope, is about to turn 90. And uh, sadly, their son, Stephen, is on uh, pretty much his last legs. He's been fighting cancer for a long time and is really struggling and uh, it seems like it's, it's on the edge. And one of the things she said to me is she said, I'm so grateful that I get to be there for him in this time. I'm so glad I'm alive for him. She draws the line between her life and God's grace. And she goes, I've, I've actually said to her, I can't believe this is not what a mom's meant to see. This is not how it's meant to be. And she said, Rog, I'm so glad this is how it is, that I actually get to be here for him in this time. She's seeing God's kindness and she's seeing the possibility of what can happen when we're in God's love. Also, don't just draw lines between your circumstances, but draw lines between your sense of God's call over your life and your activities. Abraham was called to be a blessing. He's called to go to another nation. He's got this call over his life. And I think it's so important that we understand that each of us have a call over our lives. I've been freshly awakened to the amazing wonder of having a calling. 
not talking about, uh, you know, often we think calling, we think ministry, your church. I'm talking about your life has a calling, that God has uh, given you gifts, he's given you vocation, he's given you a, a plan, he's given you a, a, a relationships that you are now called to. These are not just random, these have the fingerprints of God all over them. Who you are is a living calling from God. And Abraham knew that he was called, and still, despite his sense of call, he trusts God through it all. I wonder if we draw enough lines between our sense of calling and then bringing courage to our calling and actually trusting him. You see, sometimes you go, you know what, faith, God's a good God. At the end of all this, I'll go to heaven, so it's all going to be okay. And so we shut off this ecosystem from God. We try to live fine until we go be with him. And James goes, in come Compatible. If you have faith, it is going to have behaviors that follow. If you believe God has called you to make a difference in the workplace and God's called you to be an entrepreneur for the glory of God and the good of the kingdom, then you better know that today he's preparing you to be that kind of person. He's preparing you in the way that you relate to people, in the way that you love people, in the way that you understand business, in the way that you understand the kingdom, in the way that you equip yourself. And so today's activities are shaping tomorrow's realities. And today's behavior is a statement of your faith that God has called you. Your life and your vocation are not just set aside, random, different parts that God doesn't care about. That's what James is saying. He's saying your faith, apart from your deeds, your activities of your life, are just dead works. You need to reconnect. You need to redraw all these lines. As you start following Jesus, you find your life becomes a, a web of connections between yours and his till you're bouncing on this beautiful trampoline of connection between you and God as you've connected so much. Hey, it's circumstances out of your control. It's God's calling over your life. You need to draw lines then also between your convictions in Scripture and God's promises. Your life and God's conviction, uh, and, and your conviction that you dis discover in Scripture. James is kind of going, you know what, it's, it's great that you believe in God, but which God do you believe? And where are you getting your descriptor of God? Hey, sometimes, you know, foul language comes out of our mouth, and I go, okay, which Bible am I reading? Because the last time I read the Bible, it said, hey, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Wow, have we drawn a line between the words that come out of our mouth and the God that we believe in? Have we thought about that before and realized that actually that stuff matters? We draw a line between our words. Nix is gonna talk much more next week about our words and how they connect to our faith. Or our uh, multiple other behaviors that we look at and we go, you know what? What about my generosity uh, towards God, towards others, towards the church? It's easy to hear you know, Mark come up and talk about generosity, but the fact is, is he's talking out of the Bible. You just need to read the Bible, and I think sometimes real faith forces us to read the Bible, and then when we read the Bible, it's kind of terrifying, because it's often so challenging towards our actual lifestyles. Today, I want to call us again freshly to, to read the Bible and just go line by line, and as we get to them, we go, okay. God really does want a relationship with me. He wants to hear me pray, and so I want to pray to him. How much of Jesus' teachings on prayer do we read and go, oh yeah, our Father, cool, thank you, Jesus, let's go. But slow down and draw the line. He's a father. I need to, be, I need to love him like a child. 
He's, he's good and he's a provider. I need to trust him to provide. And so often our, our scriptural reading is really not drawing lines between a kind God and a person of faith. And one of the dangers is we become these liars. Low information to action ratio. Rather read less slowly in the Bible and let it get into your soul and really change the way that you live. Sometimes I get stuck in a passage for a few days or weeks and it's just because I feel like if I go past it, I won't have let God do what I'm doing and I'll become a liar. I'll become a person with a kind of fake faith. I'll teach my brain to look past stuff and not let it change my behavior. And so I slow down and I let my faith inform my works so that my faith isn't useless. It isn't dead. I'm not training myself towards a kind of dying experience of faith, which is really just lip service. It really is just a proclamation of what I say I believe. Are we still happy? It's a bit of a challenging one. I get it. But this is James's crescendo. He's calling us. He's saying, draw lines. Go back to grade R with your faith and start to connect God's promises to your life, uncontrollable circumstances to God's amazing kindness, and just draw lines until your life looks like an absolute wild cobweb of your life connected to God's goodness, and in there is just this beautiful tapestry of God's story. Band are gonna come up. We're going to celebrate Pentecost in a way that we're gonna ask the Holy Spirit to shape our faith in a way that essentially shapes us into people of faith, people who trust God. Why don't you stand with me? Why don't you do me a favor and maybe just close your eyes and maybe just start by saying, God, I don't want a faith that is dead. Say that in your own words, under your breath. God, I don't want a faith that's dead. I want a living faith. And then remember that you are loved before you have great faith. Remember this morning that you are not the product of your beautiful journey and your perfection. You're the product of God's perfection and God's amazing love. Today I want to invite you to a journey of trust. The circumstances out of your control, would you draw lines straight to a loving father? Would you draw lines to his promises that he's got over your life? Would you draw lines to your sense of calling that should feed in you a sense of courage that you, you get up and you don't give up? Lord, this morning we come to you. We ask you for a fresh coaching, a fresh empowering of your spirit to teach us where, how to live out this journey of faith. We don't live under condemnation. We pray today that nobody feels condemned or guilty that we don't have great faith, but rather that we feel inspired today to live with great faith in the little things in our lives, that we would connect our mornings 
that we would connect our parenting, that we would connect our singleness, that we would connect our hopes and our dreams and our fears to you, that there's nothing that doesn't have a line drawn directly to your love, to your grace, to your Father's heart. And that because of that, we can, we can rest, but we can also act accordingly. Just got a sense of God wanting to encourage some who've got entrepreneurial dreams. You, you, you're running a small business. You've always thought that you would start new things. And I just feel like God saying, yes, I've called you. And I will coach you. And I am coaching you. Just wanted, wanting to remind some of us. I feel some who are flirting with stuff you know you shouldn't be. You, you're, you're tempted to make a decision now that you know is on the edge. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's another type of commitment. And you're just on the edge of saying, yes, I'm going to do this. But, but you know somewhere deep down you need to just take some time. Not rush into this. This might not be a good thing. Big change, big move, big addition to your life, big reduction from your life. Just feel like Jesus saying, slow down. You need to act in faith. You need to know that I'm a merciful God, that I will walk with you, that I've got the right things at the right times for you. Some of us are trying to rush it. We're trying to cut corners. Some of us need to walk up mountains like Abraham did and hand over. Maybe it's our pride, our reputation. But we need to trust if God calls us that we, we go where he calls us. Others, it's just a case of saying yes to following Jesus, maybe for the first time, or it's coming home after a long time. And today's that day of just going, you know what? I'm done avoiding. I'm done pushing it out till tomorrow. Some of us have said, you know what? When that thing changes, when that circumstance is over, when this season ends, I'm back with you, God, wholeheartedly. I'm in. And today God says, no, it's not a trade, it's a trust. Trust me today. Some of us are coming home today. And I'm gonna call us to an act of faith. I'm gonna ask you to keep your eyes closed. But if you're coming home for the first time, or maybe you're coming home after a long time, and you're saying, you know what, I need to trust Jesus again. I've been wandering, I've been going my own way. Eyes are closed, but I wanna pray with you and I want you to have us a declaration of your own faith saying, I'm, I'm with Jesus. And I want you to just pop up your hand with me now and just say, I'm coming home. Pop it up and pop it down and I wanna pray with you. I see that hand. Beautiful. I'm coming home. Done flirting with other options. Any other people saying, here I am. This little act of faith is a way of your body. I saw that hand your body and your mind aligning to your trust in Jesus today. Jesus, today we thank you so much for your amazing grace that finds us often in the lowest parts of our lives and you love us with your mercy. And God, it's this moment where heaven touches earth, where our faith, we draw the line and we connect and we go, you know what, I'm done running, I'm done turning, I'm done going my own way and I draw the line today between myself and your love. And I walk that line. 
and I walk towards you as I pop up my hand, as I say, this is the end of this, this is the start of that. And it's those moments where faith and action synergize together and they bring transformation. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you that today our faith and our activities come together, two sides of the same coin. And we hear James's call today as a church to be careful with our words, to be careful what we proclaim with our mouths if our activities don't follow suit. I pray that in your love we would receive this word free from condemnation, not second guessing all our actions, but rather living under your grace, but also living wisely, thoughtfully about how we act, how we speak, how we live. And I pray, God, that we would blend this into a life and community, that we learn to love each other into this journey of faith, that we learn to love each other into this beautiful story of trust. We reject trading and bargaining with you today, and we embrace trusting you today. As we sing this song, we sing as a group of people committed to fresh journeys of trust. For those of us who are we're still looking at trusting you from the outside and, and watching, I pray, God, that even today would be another step of just putting a brick in the wall of saying, I'm, I'm open to trusting God. Maybe, God, you're not as bad as I first thought you are. And God, as we sing this song, I pray that we'd be a demonstration and a declaration to the watching world around us that we are a people caught up in your grace, ready to trust you. Let's sing together.